Work, workforce, and workplace norms are shaped as much by popularized portrayals as they are by our lived experiences. From sensational headlines, like The Great Resignation, to successful series, like The Office and Silicon Valley, to skits and stories shared on our social media feeds, what we see shapes what we believe. Let's go behind the scenes to discover what's new now and next in the world of work, and we'll challenge the traditions of what it means to live well and to work well. This is Success From Anywhere. Today on Success From Anywhere, we'll meet a swimming coach and serial entrepreneur who knows how to navigate being thrown into the deep end. He's an expert on the future of marketing and an entrepreneurial coach whose clients swim laps around their competition. Please join me in welcoming to the show operating partner at High Alpha, RJ Tallier. Welcome to the show, RJ. Hey, thanks, Karen. Appreciate it. On the show, because we talk about the future of work, I like to ask every guest, what was your first paid job and how did that job inform or inspire your career trajectory? I was a locker room attendant at the Riviera Club. For those of you who aren't familiar, it was built, it was a swim club that was built in 1933 and nothing has changed since. <laughs> the... My job was to clean the toilets and mop the floor. And then a lot of times the maintenance people would need help doing other stuff. So they would grab me to trim bushes, take trash out, paint stuff. I mean, whatever. But I was uh, 14 at the time. And it honestly, that, that was a, a great job because it just is like the humble start. I wanted to graduate out of that job into other jobs at the club, which I think you would level up to a lifeguard or working in the snack shack, those types of things. Yeah, I was cleaning toilets and dirty diapers and whatever else you could <laughs> So I think it has been like, I I, uh, I, I think it has been a, an interesting kind of starting point for a lot of things because I tell people and I think of myself like I'm only good at hard work. Like, that's it. I'm, I'm not the smartest person there ever was. I certainly am not, but I will work hard. And so that's kind of been my secret. And, you know, working hard at that job gets you to the next job. And, you know, there's nothing glamorous about some of the work that needs to get done. And I often find that that's a little secret because people want to offload that or outsource it or something like that. But uh, if you're the one cleaning the toilet, then you get the credit, move on to the next more glamorous thing. <laughs> Your job description at the Riviera Club sounds a lot like the job description for an entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah, that's about right. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of which, how does an English major go into the world of entrepreneurship? That seems like an unlikely path. Tell us more. Yeah, so I have an English degree from undergrad and I have a master's in creative writing from Purdue. And, you know, I always was really passionate about reading and writing and wanted to pursue that personally. In addition, I was really entrepreneurial in college and my grandfather was an entrepreneur and I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. And so I thought, let's do kind of both. I had the good fortune of landing in the Orr Fellowship, which is an honors or like an entrepreneurial fellowship thing for entrepreneurs right out of college and moved from there to be an early employee at Exact Target, which was an email marketing platform that grew to be acquired by Salesforce, as you know, Karen. But at Exact Target, I found that there was a lot of opportunity to read and write a bunch of stuff. Can Spam Act, which was this giant piece of legislation, 
was just published and it monitored the email opt-in, opt-out practices. And it was this monster piece of legislation that I read. And then I became the expert on that. And I was the first deliverability consultant at Exact Target. And then I would write lots of blogs and white papers. I wrote a chapter in a book, lots of case studies and all sorts of content around the topic of email deliverability and became one of the experts in del email deliverability. And so, you know, English major is all about creativity and consuming large amounts of information and then producing other stuff. So it, it kind of naturally fits into the tech world where we're always trying to learn about new tech and new legislation, new stuff, and then consume it and then spit it back out in a way that people actually understand. And that's what I did in college and grad school. And that's what I do professionally. So it's been, it's been an easier link than, than I, than I think maybe others anticipate. Yes. And what I like about what you're saying is we often underestimate how important it is for entrepreneurs to be excellent at reading, writing, and speaking. Yes. What yes. are some of the other important skills you've discovered? Because your journey in entrepreneurship went beyond exact target to other companies as well. What are some of those other critical and maybe underrated or less talked about skills that you see in successful entrepreneurs? Well, yeah, so I, I, I left for exact target. I went to work for a startup called Geophedia. Then I started my own company named Pattern 89. And then now I'm involved in a lot of different startups through my current role. And, you know, uh, reading and writing are, are definitely big skills. I'll tell you, one of the things that I see today is the abil ability to communicate ideas in pictures. Like if I was an expert in Figma, for example, that would be a really good skill. I'm not an expert in Figma. Um, I tend to go to Google Slides or PowerPoint and draw with squares and circles and arrows and those types of things, but really design thinking and the ability to communicate your ideas in a way that a designer or a product person or an engineer can then execute very quickly is a lot better than just being a whiteboarder or even like saying out loud, like, hey, I want to do this. So being able to communicate in a language that then others can execute on quickly is is one. So Figma is a skill I've been working on, uh, but I'm not an expert on, but I've seen a lot of other entrepreneurs really succeed when they know that very well. And Figma may be a new phrase for a lot of our listeners. Educate us in a way that my soon-to-be 100-year-old grandfather could understand. Imagine a canvas that you could create software with and that anybody, even including your 100-year-old grandfather, could create what he envisioned software to be. It has lots of shapes and um, arrows and colors and everything, but it's, an, it's built in a way that an average person could create, could, could say, hey, here's what I want the thing to look like. And it looks pretty professional. Um, now there are experts, designers who are, you know, can layer on top of that within Figma, but it's a software program that's um, free and it's a way to communicate your visual ide ideas into software and other things too. Practice Pictionary. That's what I heard you say, right? When you think about that game, the yes. basis of that game is someone's going to give you words and someone has to draw those words, right? There is a a give and take between what is spoken and heard versus what is visually represented. Yes. And what I'm hearing you say is in the process of creation, whether that's creating software or something else, the ability to turn words into images yeah. increases your effectiveness as a communicator. 
It, it sure does. I mean, you, you've got to communicate, you know, you have this idea, you've got to communicate what that idea is, not only to create the, like the, the thing, but to inspire the other people to come along and help you with it. So oftentimes creating a pretty version of that idea is more inspirational than just speaking that idea. And it also makes it more real. It also invites criticism in a way because you can kind of, you know, hand wave and you know, discount things, but if you actually put something on paper that people can react to and say, I like this, or I don't like this, or, you know, I like this shape, or I like those colors, or I don't understand it. I think it's really, really uh, important. I mean, think about like not software, but like if you, if I were to describe like, hey, I want to build a house and it's going to be a two-story house and it's going to be red or something. Like two people could draw a two-story red, you know, red house very differently. One might be brick, one might be you know, clapboard or something, and it might be really modern in architecture or very, cla very classic. So getting something on paper helps us to then take it to the next step or criticize it or the idea becomes something real. And what you're pointing out as well is what a great tool to create more engagement to refine your idea. Some of us can hear words spoken and see a visual image in our minds, Others are better at interacting and engaging when they can physically interact and draw and see a picture. And you mentioned a moment ago, design thinking. Share more about how anyone who's thinking about entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship, innovation could incorporate design thinking into what they're doing. What do you think are some of the most core skills or principles that anyone could apply? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, design thinking is a whole protocol that I'm not an expert in. And I want to say that because there are experts in there that can come and actually instruct you on how to apply it all. But when I think about design thinking, I think about how do you go from an initial idea to an actual end result and getting over all the hurdles that are along the way. One of the things that I like to do in, when I'm thinking in that way is the whole trick of how might we. So I know how might we create a red house with two stories or something like that, rather than, you know, it's sort of inviting people into the exploratory process and let's give away all the preconceptions about like, you know, how much is it going to cost or is there red brick available or like, where are we going to even going to build this thing? What lot is it? Like the practicality is let's, let's push them off to the next conversation, but instead let's imagine together and one of the other things that I like to do is, you know, we're talking about like bringing ideas to life. Writing is, there's a lot of studies out there that say that writing is thinking and that when you actually create something, you'll introduce, your, your brain actually will introduce new things because you're actually putting it on paper, either in words or as you're creating something in a tool like Figma or just drawing itself, you then create something net new that you didn't know even existed. And that whole creativity process is, I don't know. I think it's like really fun to put headphones on, put some ambient music in and take those ideas and try to create something with them and not worry about the what ifs or the practicalities that ultimately will have to be adjusted. Right. But just like think big, 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 and then come down from there. Every time you say Figma somewhere in my head, I think, Figma of my imagination. Ah, very yeah. bad pun. And as an English major, you're probably cringing right now. No, that's great. That's good. What I like about what you're saying is that question, how might we, is a tool to move from constraints to choices. Yes. And 
we all are out taking walks or in some sort of a situation where an idea comes to us and we tend to put ourselves in the constraints category because we criticize our idea. We think that's not a great idea yeah. or no one else will think that's a great idea. Yeah. What I like about that, how might we, mm -hmm. is it's a tool that says anyone can create anything yeah. and you just take that into a bigger and bigger space where you focus on the choices rather than on the constraints. There are two things that come to mind as you're, you're saying that, Karen. One is, um, well, I just lost the, the first one, but the second one is a lot of entrepreneurs will, will do things like, hey, Karen, I wanna tell you about this idea, but you need to, find, you need to sign an NDA or a non-disclosure agreement first. Mm -hmm. And unless you have invented like the, the actual cure to cancer and are going to share with me the molecular formula of the injection or something. I don't think an NDA is needed because there are lots and lots of ideas. Ideas are cheap. It's the execution of the idea that's so important. And I think that sharing your idea visually or in text or just even in a conversation and inviting that feedback or even the criticism as you're describing is the way to advance ideas into something that's net new. And I'm going to create, even if we have the same idea, Karen, you and I like, same idea, you would execute it based on your experiences and I would execute it based on mine. So it actually might be totally different businesses we come up with. Oftentimes we're scared to share a new idea because we don't want to look foolish or silly or unprofessional or the idea is not fully baked yet. Then some wonderful and amazing ideas and or entrepreneurs decide not to start because they're nervous and fear is a real thing. It's a real thing. Anyway, I like sharing ideas early and often, NDAs, et cetera, but instead, you know, finding trusted friends, the old friend DA, as I call it, or as lots <laughs> of people call it, you know, friend DA. Uh, so what I heard you say is ideas are not impact and execution is monetization. Yeah. Right. Ooh. You really can't monetize yeah. an idea until you start to execute, which is the moment at which that idea translates into something that creates monetary value and worth or leads to your ROI. You mentioned something important there about fear holding even entrepreneurs back on their journey. And entrepreneurs are people who are already committed to press through the fear and step out into their own. And your role, RJ, at High Alpha Innovation is to coach founders is to support them on this journey. And what I'm curious about is how do you create a safe space and what can we all learn from you about how to create a safe space in those moments where people are stuck in that fear? Yeah, yeah. Okay, three things come to mind. Lots of, lots of probably ideas here. Like I love to use the what if, like what if, dot, 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 literally just like, let's play what if like what if everybody loves this idea and you have too much business what if then you know what if covid comes again like you know or what if like just crazy scenarios you know let's play those out a little bit the second thing that i like to do is you know like the dream with me my, my friend tyler says that a lot like dream with me dream with me let's go to a dream space this is not real let's imagine you know so both are the kind of entry points there and then the third thing i like to do is actually rehearse let's rehearse a conversation with a prospect and like, let's play it out. So Karen, you and I are going to pretend I'm going to try to sell this to you now, um, or I'm going to try to pitch you on this idea and we're going to rehearse. And so you're going to have rehearsed 
all the objections. You're going to have heard some of the objections. You're going to get zinged in this conversation, but it's a safe space because I'm your champion. I am your coach. I'm excited for you. And I, you know, let's, let's, let's go for it. And so we'll do rehearsals. It's silly. Like it feels really weird, you know, especially with like a friend or somebody that you're working with to, to kind of go down that rehearsal path. But you find the objections, you find the criticism, those types of things and anticipate them. And you won't anticipate all of them, but at least you'll be used to defending the idea outside of your head in, in you know, in a, in a real space. Did you know that 68% of workers say a hybrid workplace is their preference? Make hybrid work for everyone with Robin. Robin is the industry-leading flexible workplace platform for connecting people with rooms, desks, and each other. We've helped companies like Peloton, Toyota, and Hulu build better workplace experiences. Plus, we integrate with the tools you already know and love. To learn more about how we make flexible work a reality, visit www.robinpowered.com. Rehearsal is a priority in any performance. Imagine if you showed up at your local theater and the symphony or the play acting team got on stage and they did that performance for the first time. How would you feel as someone who paid for a ticket? Yeah. And yet every day we walk into sales calls and pitch meetings with potential investors with very little rehearsal. Yes. And what I like about what you're saying is the point of rehearsal is not to perfect and memorize a script. Mm -hmm. It is to prepare you to handle the unexpected nature of twists and turns yeah. and to be able to access that sage mindset that gets curious and asks more questions as opposed to shutting down and withdrawing from the conversation into a panic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I worked at Salesforce uh, for a while, as you know, and I was a speaker on the world tours. I had the good fortune of going to some cool places and speaking and I would do the marketing cloud demo. And one of the things that they have you do as a prep for it is meet with a speaking coach. And you probably know this, Karen, but the speaking coach uh, watches your speech and you're giving a speech. They like the in the round format where you're walking around. And so walking and what do you do with your hands and you're trying to coordinate a demo and that type of stuff. It's pretty overwhelming. And they do have a script that they want you to follow. But the key point is make it your own. You've got to make it your own and you have to really own it. You can't be just memorized and, and speak it back out. And the speaking coach was great, really direct with me, which was awesome. And I appreciate it. But one of the tips I've taken from him is that you need to rehearse anything five times out loud. And he said out loud because you're training your neural pathways. And again, I'm not a brain expert or whatever, but like to find different words to say the same thing, just like you're saying, but it's so tedious to have to do it out loud five times, especially if you're giving like a 20 minute talk. But I have used that trick over and over and over. And I'll tell you, if I rehearse five times and then go to bed, wake up in the morning, look at my notes, I can nail those presentations. I can nail those pitches. And it's something I tell the, uh, our team and we rehearse five times out loud. And you can't say, stop, stop, stop. Let's do it over again. You have to keep going. Like that's the trick. Um, so I'm thankful to that. Uh, I don't remember his name, but I appreciate that coach's advice and I've used it. <laughs> What I've discovered about rehearsal is that it's an effective tool to calm your nerves. Yeah. Most people get nervous, even if you're rehearsed and a practiced public speaker, that moment when you walk on stage and all of those eyes are looking at you ready for this brilliant moment where you say something that informs or inspires them. <laughs> and what I found is 
it's easier to sit with those nerves when you know you know your content and that yes. you're prepared. Yeah. When you match not rehearsing, not being prepared with the nerves of the moment, you're yes. just setting yourself up to struggle. Yes. Yeah, exactly. When you are coaching these various entrepreneurs, I mean, the businesses that you coach span every industry and every concept. Mm -hmm. What are some of the common denominators that you've discovered as a coach, both in swimming and as an entrepreneurial coach about mindset? What is the mindset we all need to embrace to step into peak performance? Two things come to mind across both, which is adopt a can't fail mindset. And that's a hard thing to do because, you know, in swimming, for example, if you sprint the first 100 of a 200 race, you're going to just give it all on that first 100 and the second 100 is going to be really painful. But like, you can't quit, like you can't get out at the 100. Like it's, you'll get disqualified, of course, in swimming. I mean, you could do it, but it'd be embarrassing. There've actually been some Olympians recently who have done that and they just get blasted. There's other issues, but like, how do you give it your all in that first bit, but then know that the second half is going to be super painful, but then go through it. It's the same with startups or with like entrepreneurs, because you have to go full speed knowing that the next week is just going to be painful or like, and uh, this is kind of a silly example, but you might say like, well, I've got 10 contacts, for example, I can reach out to those 10 contacts, but then what do I do after I've exhausted those 10 contacts from my potential deal? It's like, well, you have to believe that when you've exhausted those 10 contacts, you'll have found other ways to get to new contacts, either by sourcing new contacts or the contacts introduce you to other people. And there's a feeling of like reserve, like how do I keep some in the reserve so that I can use it later that, that we as humans want to do, because I want to anticipate that pain and then kind of plan for it. But what we do is if we, if we plan for that pain and we plan for a future pain, then we end up not giving our full selves and entrepreneurs and athletes. And, you know, like if you want to win, you've got to give your full self. Now there's a lot of like self-care and mental health and all sorts of other things that go into that because you need to give your full self, but also protect yourself, whatever. But the, I think that the winners are able to go kind of full blast and say like, all right, I trust myself enough to be creative enough that there will be more leads. There'll be more energy. There'll be something else that's coming up that I'm not quite sure. And that's, I think what the winning teams do the winning companies as well as winning individuals like in sports and stuff. So from a mindset perspective, how do you kind of go from a mindset of scarcity to a mindset of like fullness that there is more there? And I'm not sure what that looks like, but I'm going to trust that it will be there. That's a scary thing, trying to convince people and then just be super supportive and help them be creative through those challenges. That's the mindset. I think that's most important. An abundance mindset is an asset yes. and you're poking holes in a popular myth that to be an entrepreneur, you must be exhausted all the time. Yeah. I mean, if we turned on our favorite sport and the athlete who we admire got up to perform and looked like they could barely stand upright, our yeah. immediate thought would be they're going to lose today. Yeah. And yet we somehow celebrate this in the world of entrepreneurship. Yeah. 
what you're looking in the direction of are the routines, rituals, and boundaries that set entrepreneurs up for success. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What are some of those routines, rituals, and boundaries maybe that you've implemented yourself and that you coach others on as well? Yeah. Well, I mean, I am not the poster child for this, Karen. I, I would just, just urge you to like, uh, do as I say, but not as I do, I, I'd say. But I'll tell you, I, you know, we talked a lot about swimming. I love swimming. And swimming is literally the only place in the world where the phone does not reach me. You know, we talk a lot about mindfulness in our culture. And from like, from my perspective, mindfulness is nothing more than just getting in the pool and swimming for like 45 minutes or an hour. And I found that if I am in the pool three or four times a week, it kind of just, it's a reset. It erases lots of things. And I can just, I can comfortably disconnect from a phone. Even when I go for a walk and I'll put like something on the, my phone or whatever, I'll always be checking it, you know, and then I feel really uncomfortable leaving my phone at home because of family and whatever. That's maybe my own issue, but when swimming, it feels really, really good to be just in the water, you know, physically, and then, you know, clearing your mind and exercising is always good. So whatever that space is for the entrepreneur, they also need to program that into their day. And just like you're saying, entrepreneurship doesn't look like eight o'clock you clock in and five o'clock you clock out. It might look like eight o'clock you head to the gym or like, you know, eight o'clock you drop your kids off, 8.15 you're at the gym and then your first meeting starts at 9.30 or your work starts at 9.30. You know, like that's an okay 